Welcome to Stand in the Gap Today with your host, the Honorable Sam Rohrer, President of the American Pastors Network, addressing the most pressing issues impacting our economy, our homes, our churches, our culture, and our daily lives from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Stand in the Gap Today, transforming the culture one heart at a time. Hello and welcome to Stand in the Gap today. And joining me today will be returning and special guest, Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina, and Dr. Jamie Mitchell, Stand in the Gap today co-host and APN Director of Church Culture and Pastoral Engagement. As today, here in this program, we engage our bi-monthly program emphasis on Israel and Bible prophecy. And I just want to state at this point, I hear more from listeners across the country that the emphasis that we do on Israel and Bible prophecy to be one of the highlights of the month's programs. And so we're in that area. So if you are interested in Israel and Bible prophecy, you're going to really want, I believe, to stay tuned to the program today. But as I share so frequently, no person can understand the events of the day without holding the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, as our friend now in heaven, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, and I would often say as we began this program beginning years ago. And as I've become to be so fully convinced, no one can fully understand the Bible without considering prophecy, which is about 30% of Scripture. And this is why, in part, Pastor Carl Brogy and I just completed our 10 programs on the theme, God Writing History Before It Happens. And I encourage you to go back and find that entire series on our website at standinthegapradio.com. But you know, Also, no one can understand God-breathed prophecy and Bible truth without believing in the sovereignty of God as creator and lawgiver, judge, and king, which the Bible describes him to be. And no one can even come close to understanding God's plan of redemption, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation through faith in Christ alone, and our eternal home in heaven without understanding God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or the Jews as God's people, or Israel as God's nation, or Jerusalem as God's capital city. And yet not everyone, including many professing Christians of our day, even consider that Israel of today holds any special consideration within the family of nations, or that we as American Christians should be any more interested in the political affairs of Israel than the interests that may be there in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Egypt. So the logical question is this, how can some professing Christians, as we do here at Stand in the Gap today in APN, consider the Bible as God's authoritative word, prophecy as God revealing his plan of redemption, not to scare us, but to prepare us, and prophecy and Israel as being inseparable, while large swaths of professing Christians refuse to emphasize either prophecy or Israel as the center of God's unfolding plan of redemption and prophecy. And it's my goal today to answer this question as it relates fully to how one interprets Scripture. As in, do we interpret Scripture literally or allegorically or figuratively? Does it make a difference? If it does, what difference does it make? So the title I've chosen for today's program is this, Israel and Biblical Prophecy, the consequences of not interpreting Scripture 
literally. And with that, I welcome right now Pastor Carl Brogy to the program. Carl, thanks for being back. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you here on Stand in the Gap Radio, Sam. Carl, big issue. Let's get right into it. In the past, Israel and prophecy programs that you and I have done here, we've referenced in passing at least the theological consideration of literal interpretation versus allegorical or figurative interpretation of Scripture as it relates to prophecy, and specifically Israel, the church, and how we view our current age within God's greater plan of the ages. But because of the issue, let's begin here by defining. Would you define what is meant by literal interpretation versus allegorical or figurative interpretation and illustrate both of those accurately done, if you can? Okay, well, uh, first there's what we call the literal or maybe normal or plain, or sometimes it's called the historical grammatical interpretation of Scripture. And it begins with the premise that God gave language to be understood, just like we're talking right now, we're understanding each other. And so when you take a historical, grammatical, literal interpretation of Scripture, we mean, God, we recognize God means what he said, and he said what he meant. And so we don't dismiss that there are figures of speech and the like, but this has great implications, not just for our life and how we approach Scripture, but also for the future. Uh, beyond the literal interpretation, there's what we call the allegorical interpretation or the figurative interpretation, where the emphasis is on not a plain reading of Scripture, but a symbolic reading of Scripture. And so, say, in the realm of prophecy, uh, the Old Testament prophecies that deal with the nation of Israel in the coming church age, an allegorical approach would say, well, Zion is not really Israel, it's the church. The thousand years is not a literal thousand years. Uh, it's just a time of fullness, and the desert blossoming like a rose is not literal, but it's just the fruitfulness of the church. And the problem with an allegorical approach, Sam, is you can make the Bible mean just about whatever you want it to mean. And so with that said, with those definitions given, we recognize that the literal plain interpretation is not the same as literalism, which ignores metaphorical speech. Um, for instance, when Jesus said, I am the door, he obviously didn't mean he was a literal door. He, and when he said, I am the bread of life, he did not mean he was a loaf of bread. And so there are figures of speech in the Bible uh, and many symbols and types in the Bible that have to be read and understood in their context. So when Jesus fed the 5,000 men, excluding women and children, he gave them real literal bread to eat. And so you read of literal bread, and then he refers himself, it's actually found in all four Gospels, that miracle, the only one, as the bread of life. And so he didn't mean that, again, he was a loaf of bread, but he's the sustainer of life. He is the origin of eternal life. And so we use figures of speech all the time, just in normal English. Uh, yesterday here in South Carolina, it rained cats and dogs, not literally. Uh, if I say I'm going for a run, uh, you know I mean I'm literally going running. But if I'm saying I'm going to run down to the store, you know something entirely different. And so a good rule of thumb is this. If, if the literal meaning of a passage leads to utter absurdity, then there's probably a symbolic or figurative meaning that would yield clarity that's meant. Uh, so like when I was reading recently in Exodus, God tells Israel, I carried you on eagle's wings and removing them out of Egypt. He didn't obviously use real literal eagles to airlift the people out of Egypt. 
He's using a symbol of the strength and power and might in which he delivered the people. But a second rule of thumb in this whole idea of interpretation, it's called hermeneutics, is that a symbol will always have a non-symbolic meaning. Let me say that again. A symbol will always have a non-symbolic meaning. I think we're going to have to pick it up there, but it's very, very critical to know what we mean by that. And uh, I'm sure we'll pick it up after the break. We will indeed, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our Israel Bible Prophecy Update focus today. The consequences of not interpreting Scripture literally is our focus. Pastor Carl Brogy is with me. Dr. Jamie Mitchell is with me. And we will be back. We're going to begin to identify the problem and the consequences of these differences in this next segment. For years, faithful Christians formed nonprofit foundations or trusts to preserve their ability to generously give to their favorite causes or ministries, even after their death. The problem? Professional managers, pressure from left-wing agendas, and even family members with opposing views hijacked the original donor intent. This is sad, but true. But this subversion of purpose can be prevented. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr of the American Pastors Network, and I'm glad to recommend Capstone Legacy Foundation in Wayne, Pennsylvania, an experienced and capable Christian community foundation established to help you set up a ministry, a giving structure guaranteed not to be hijacked, or a place you can donate cash or non-cash assets like stocks, bonds, or property Capstone's designed to help you achieve immediate tax savings and give you needed time to decide how to prayerfully allocate your giving. Contact Capstone at 610-688-8890 or visit them at capstonelegacy.org. With a one-minute look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Recently, Canadian psychologist and YouTube star Jordan Peterson called out the famous British biologist Richard Dawkins with an I told you so. Dawkins had complained on Twitter about New Zealand elevating traditional Maori stories to the same level as Western science. So Peterson retorted, quote, Welcome to the world of posthumanism, sir, a world which you sadly helped to birth. Wouldn't surprise me at all if the woke polytheistic neo-paganist now destroys science faster than it destroyed Christianity. Well, on one hand, Dawkins is certainly right that the whole genius of Western science is that it's not just Western. But, as Peterson not so gently noted, Dawkins has spent his career tearing down the religious foundations upon which science is built. Without God and all that his existence implies, there is no solid ground to say that any knowledge, scientific or otherwise, is actually true for everyone. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. How can the difficult times in our society be an encouragement? The answer is found in the prophecies of Scripture. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. The struggles and apostasy of our society can easily discourage us, yet we can also look at these negatives in a positive way. In Matthew 24, Jesus spoke of many falling away from the faith. He spoke of wars and rumors of wars and other world problems as the beginning of birth pains. In other words, when we see these problems increasing, it should encourage us that the Lord's return is nearing. We know Jesus could come at any day, even today, giving us the hope that we need to stand firm through today's trials. If we are ready to meet him, we are prepared to face any challenge in our world today. So let's focus on what is eternal as we face life's battles. Discover more helpful resources at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. 
For more information, visit our website at standinthegapradio.com. While Scripture does not ever use the phrase literal interpretation, it does use the phrase of no private interpretation. 2 Peter 1, 19-21, I'm just going to quote them because it goes a little bit to the heart of interpretation of Scripture. That's what we're talking about today. Literal, allegorical, figurative, or what? So here's what the Apostle Peter wrote. And we have, he says, the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own or private interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, Carl, let's go here first. The Apostle Peter was dealing with a number of things there, but I think at least we can say that there were some people at that point claiming they had a knowledge of God where God had not provided it, or like today, seeking to explain away perhaps what God's prophets of old had written in the Old Testament passages. But that brings me to this first question in this segment to you, and that is this. Since the early days of the Apostle Paul and Peter and early days of the New Testament, of the early church, and now the church age in which we still live, these 2,000 years since that point, can you give a little bit of an historical background of when the issue of figurative versus allegorical interpretation of Scripture perhaps came an issue, and how perhaps it has changed since those early days of the early apostles? Well, it's a powerful question, Sam. I suppose you could say in the strictest sense, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Satan says, did God say, where he questioned the authority of God's Word. But as church history progressed, in the third century, there was a guy named Gaius, uh, not the one mentioned in Scripture, of course, who had rejected the Jews as God's chosen people. And so as he approached uh, Old Testament passages and New Testament passages, he began to spiritualize them because you have to really write off hundreds of verses of Scripture. Uh, later on, there was a brother. I think he was a brother, as best I know, Clement of Alexandria. He lives like 190 to around 220, if I remember. Uh, he also took uh, in the school, he had the School of Alexandria, an allegorical approach. He influenced a guy named Origen, who had a powerful and profound impact on St. Augustine, as he's often called. Origen uh, was famous for the allegorical interpretation of Scripture, so much so that some hold him responsible. But he had people who had influenced him. He's fresh in my mind because not long ago I did a personal Bible study on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so Origen said, well, the man who is robbed is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise. Jericho is the world. The priest is the law. The Levites are the prophets. The Samaritans, Christ. The donkey represents Christ's body that bears the burden of the wounded man. The end is the church and so on. It's just, you can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. And yet 
he influenced Bishop Ambrose, who in turn influences Augustine, and Augustine becomes the key leader in early church history who basically sets and plants the seeds for Roman Catholicism. And so the Roman Catholic view is very, very much allegorical in its approach to Scripture. In fact, you quoted here uh, from Second Peter 1, they quote 120 apart from the context that you quoted it in, and they say, well, no prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation. That is, you can't figure it out on your own, the perspicuity of Scripture that it was given to be read and to be understood, but only Peter, the first pope, and the keys passed down to all the successive popes can really understand it. It for you. And so the magisterium of the church is the official arm that interprets scripture. His point is, is that scripture is reliable, more reliable than the dramatic experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And his point is, is that the men who wrote scripture, it didn't originate with them, but men who were moved along by the Holy Spirit. So apart from some of these allegorical approaches that are really rooted in a person's view of the Jewish people, Uh, There's tons of church fathers, and the majority of the church fathers and their writings have never been translated, and there's some people who are working on that now, but they were premillennial. They believe that literally Messiah is coming back. He's going to keep his promises to Israel because, again, um, Dr. Pentecost, one of my professors, used to always tell us the golden rule of interpretation is when 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 the plain reading makes good sense, you shouldn't seek any other sense, or you will come up with nonsense. And so uh, there are allegories in the Bible, a handful, one in the New Testament, like Paul references Hagar and Sarah, but he doesn't discount the historicity of those two people. And then he tells you it's an allegory and he interprets it for you. And there are certainly types in the Bible, like in Hebrews 11, where Isaac is a type of Christ. It doesn't erase the history of Genesis 22. But those who approach the Bible allegorically, typically in our day, they don't do it consistently. And so those in the Reformed faith typically interpret the coming of Christ literally, all the prophecies, in most scripture literally, but when it comes to prophetic literature, they spiritualize it. Why? Because of a really tainted view that they have on Israel that goes back to Augustine, that comes through the Roman Catholic popes, and some of the things they said are embarrassing. When you were in Yad Vashem a month or so ago, the very first uh, little segment that you see is a quote by Augustine that is so hateful towards the Jews. Um, The things that Calvin said about the Jews are embarrassing. Uh, The things that Luther, Martin Luther, you know, a, a brother in Christ, what he said about the Jews are embarrassing. He said their synagogues and schools should be burned, their houses should be destroyed, their writings should be confiscated, the rabbis should never teach, their money should be taken away, they should be compelled into forced labor. And Hitler quotes Luther and he's saying, I'm not saying anything that Hitler didn't say. And he had his people go into the Lutheran churches in Germany as a basis for destroying the Jewish people. So an allegorical approach is a very dangerous approach to Scripture, and it's not the principle for interpreting Scripture that we find within the Bible. So how do I know the plain, literal, historical approach is true? Because within the Scriptures, that's what God uses. For instance, in Daniel 9, he's wondering, how much longer are we going to be here in Babylon? What does he do? He goes back, he reads Jeremiah 25, and he finds, oh, 70 years. They're almost there. So he seeks the Lord. What's 
next Lord. And God shows him the next 490, so to speak, years of Israel's history. But what does he do? He literally interprets Jeremiah. 70 means 70. Um, and that's the model we find within the New Testament. When they look back on Old Testament prophecies, they take a plain, literal, literal grammatical interpretation of Scripture. Carl, what you're saying is so right on, and it could be such a help to the people listening today because they may be sitting in a church and there may be a pastor preaching or maybe a new pastor coming to their church, and they seem that they are conservative in their approach, conservative in their doctrine, and then all of a sudden they start teaching on Revelation and their eyes are open. This is a problem in the church today, isn't it, Carl, that this idea of hermeneutic and interpreting the scriptures, it's having a real negative effect on the church. Is that what you're seeing today? Absolutely. And so prophecy, for the most part, is being ignored in the body of Christ. One, people don't want to seem as fanatical because of all the weirdos we have had who have been date setters and everything else. But many don't know how to approach it. It's not taught in seminaries anymore. Or when they do teach it, and if they're coming from a Reformed perspective, because they are influenced largely by John Calvin, who said the Jews are a rotten and unbending people whose obstinance deserves that they be oppressed without measure or end, and that they die in their misery without the pity of anyone. That's Calvin on the Jewish people. Why? Because he interpreted the scripture concerning Israel allegorically. And so when they come to Revelation, instead of taking the plain view, and God gave us the outline, they spiritualize the book, they interpret it symbolically, or they take the preterist view, preterist from the Latin word past. They say the book of Revelation, with the exception of the physical coming of Christ from heaven to earth, it's all history. And you really butcher the scripture and you put the church asleep when they need to be wakened up because there's prophecy literally actually being fulfilled in our day. We are living in biblical times. God is fulfilling great things, especially as it relates to the super sign Israel. He's brought them back into the land. He's setting the stage. He alerted us to the moral climate that would precede his second coming, the days of Noah, the days of Lot, days of sexual perversion, sexual permissiveness, and apostasy. In the latter times, referring to the end of the age, uh, there would be a falling away from the faith. And we're seeing it, and the church is asleep because prophecy is is not being taught. And when it is being taught, it's being abused. And it, it's it's sad. We need to wake up. And that's why programs like what Sam is doing here and Stand in the Gap is critically important. And Carl, so clear what you said. Jamie, great question to Carl. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why we're doing this. So we need, if we say the Word of God is our final authority, is it really? Or is it our opinion? That's why we say pulpits cannot just let out what they want to let out. Neither can we as people who say we're children of God do what we want and let out what God says we ought to do. It all comes right back to this. When you come back, we're going to talk specifically now about this idea of replacement theology. Have you ever heard of that before? Family, commerce, civil authority, the church. 
Did you know these are the four pillars of society that God ordained to be the distributors, demonstrators, and protectors of truth? It's time to raise the biblical standard for each of these institutions once again. The American Pastors Network and its media ministries, Stand in the Gap Radio and TV, are using their national platform to analyze and evaluate today's cultural issues from a biblical and constitutional perspective. When you tune into Stand in the Gap today, or watch an episode of Stand in the Gap TV, you'll hear information ranging from the latest news headlines to the exciting fulfillment of prophecy in the Middle East. Guests like former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, apologist Alex McFarland, and Citizens Council for Health Freedom's Twyla Brace offer insights from their valuable experience to help you better understand and defend your faith. To tune in, visit us at standinthegapmedia.org. That's standinthegapmedia.org. The United States boasts over 4 million miles of highways and public roads. Without accurate maps, though, and road signs, these roads are confusing. The road of life's no different. Thankfully, the Bible gives us needed markers and guidelines in the form of biblical commands and principles. Properly applying them is the difference between success and confusion when it comes to impacting our culture for Christ and being effective salt and light. For a gift of any amount to Stand in the Gap, we'll send you an attractive Stand in the Gap signpost with four simple questions and corresponding biblical principles about the toughest issues of the day, helping you to successfully travel the road of life. Use as a bookmark in your Bible, affixed to your refrigerator, or give to a friend. Yours for a gift of any amount to Stand in the Gap. Partner with us right now at StandInTheGapRadio.com. That's StandInTheGapRadio.com. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today, discussing the pressing issues facing our culture from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Now let's rejoin our host. Well, if you're just joining us today, I welcome you to the program. This is our bi-monthly focus on Israel and prophecy. And I know that this is a program that so many of you look forward to. How do I know that? (laughs) Because you have related it to me and have told us in letters or personally. And we do this program regularly because, as I say regularly, why is it so important to pay attention to Israel and prophecy? It's simply this, because God does. It's no more complicated than that. God does. Well, if we are really observant to what God says, a true believer, we are going to want to love what God loves. And some of those things are definitely prophecy in what God's plan is all about, which is all about God loving the world so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die. That's the gospel. But also God loves Israel and the Jewish people. How do we know that? Well, because the Bible says that. So we do this because this is where God's heart is. This is what God has said. And if we interpret Scripture appropriately, we see it literally, as Carl said in the last segment, unfolding right before our eyes. Now, let's get into further this concept of how we interpret Scripture. Okay, now, there's perhaps no greater consequence of interpreting Scripture and biblical prophecy figuratively, or allegorically, using those words similar, not quite the same, but they're similar, than in regard to, as we've already said, to Israel as God's nation, the Jews as God's chosen people, Jerusalem as God's capital city. Now, I'm taking literally God's covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
have not been abandoned by God, as some would say, but are yet, and I'm going to submit, being fulfilled as we speak by God. Now, taken allegorically, God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been transferred, some say, to the church, which, if that's the case, it's supplanted Israel of these promises, and these promises of a land, a nation, an earthly kingdom where Jesus, as king of kings, physically rules for a thousand years, they would say it's not really physical, it's spiritual. Well, this view is generally referred to as replacement theology. Could be some other terms, but the consequences of holding this view, though, versus a literal view, is nothing less than extraordinary from both practical applications to, I'm going to say, if it's not right, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to hear from Jesus when I stand before him and he says, well done, well interpreted. Or he's going to say, not well done, not well interpreted. The implications are extensive. Carl, go ahead and add to the defining of this replacement theology. I just kind of gave the basis for it, but give us the history. Where did this come from, this terminology? If there's other terms that describe it, lay it out. Who, what, when, and where did this concept come from? Well, replacement theology, just simply defined, is the fact that the church, the body of Christ, has replaced Israel. Sometimes it's called supersessionism. We've superseded Israel as a people. And it went back to the early days when some people saw, well, Jesus came and the Jews rejected him. He came to his own, his own received him not. And so God must be done with the Jews. But that, again, was a misinterpretation of Scripture. Jeremiah, the prophet, when he speaks of the New Covenant, and the writer of the Hebrews quotes it as being fulfilled partially in the church today, but not exclusively. There's coming a time when God will fulfill it amongst the nation of Israel. And that's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 deal with. But if Calvin, for instance, believed that God was done with Israel, then when he read 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, he read it through that lens. 9 is not dealing with um, the election of Israel out of all the nations of the world from which the Messiah would come. It's God electing you to go to heaven and me to go to hell. 10 deals, uh, again, with the same lens. He's dealing in chapter 9 with the election of Israel, his choosing of them. In 10, with their current rejection, why are they in unbelief? But in 11, with their future restoration. And so when the prophet Jeremiah speaks of this new covenant, he says right after that, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched up below, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel. So God declares that he's made an eternal commitment to the people of Israel. So you've got people like Augustine who, you you know, if you preach there's a coming king who's going to rule and reign on the earth, that's not very pleasing to leaders in that day. So some of his predecessors spiritualized the message. And again, this came down eventually through Catholicism onto John Calvin and Martin Luther. Now, we're grateful for the impact they had in bringing the gospel back into the church, but they carried with them a lot of Roman Catholic theology that continues to this day. And I might say that Pope Paul VI in the Second Vatican Council said, and if I remember, I'm quoting him directly, the church is the new 
true people of God. And again, that was reaffirmed in 2010 when the special synod of bishops met in the Middle East, and they say that God's done with Israel. This is replacement theology. And again, sadly, and I think often blindly, there's a dual principle of interpretation when coming to Scripture. Typically use a literal, normal hermeneutic for interpreting the rest of the Bible with the exception of Israel because of this stance that they have. And no wonder, no wonder the Jewish people scratch their heads when they say that Christians care about them because their history has been one of hate, whether it's Luther or Calvin or the multiplicity of popes that came against them, even Pius XII, who helped fund the Nazi party, party under Hitler. And, and, of course, during the time of the Crusades, who did they kill? They killed the Muslims, they killed the Jews, and they killed those Christians who didn't agree with the Catholic Church. We'd call them today born-again Christians. And so the history of anti-Semitism has driven this hermeneutic, among other things. And it's very sad. And God alone will sort out the true believers from those who are false. Um, but it doesn't change how we are to approach the Scripture. We recognize there are symbols in the Bible. When Satan is called the great red dragon, um, we don't say, well, that's just symbolic um, language, so there must be no devil. No, we interpret what the symbols mean, that he's a ferocious, evil, hateful person, and we believe it literally. And sometimes within the Scripture, the the symbols are interpreted for us, seven candlesticks. Well, Jesus tells us they mean seven churches. So we don't dismiss symbols, but we interpret the symbols. And then when we understand what they mean in their context or with the rest of Scripture, interpreting Scripture, we believe it literally. Carl, this has far-reaching consequences on the body of Christ today. As a young man, I grew up in a church that clearly preached on prophecy, taught on end times, and taught on it correctly. I was visiting that church this past weekend, kind of returning to my roots. They have abandoned those things completely, and I can see it in the young people. You mentioned there that this is the fuel to anti-Semitism, but it's cloaked in a deceitful way because being a part of the kingdom and being a kingdom builder and upholding the kingdom of God are code words of removing Israel. If I'm sitting in my church today and I'm hearing you, they may not even tell me that they believe in replacement theology, but it is affecting the church. What are the practical effects that we are seeing in the body of Christ today? Well, that's a powerful question, Jamie. And Obviously, if people are not awake to God's prophetic schedule, then they'll be asleep to the kind of passion and uh, commitment to the cause of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment that we are to have. And so when we think of replacement theology, if God's done with the Jew, then there's no significance for the fact that God would gather Israel at the end of time. But God not only prophesied through Moses and through Christ that they would be scattered to the four corners of the earth, but then he would bring them back. Can a nation be born in a single day, Isaiah asked, speaking of the future of Israel? Yes, they were. God brought them back. You know, there was 20,000 Jews in 1890 in Israel. But on the birthday of their new nation, there were 600,000 Jews. And now 
There's over 7 million Jews in Israel. There are more Jews living in Israel today than in all the rest of the countries combined. That's not by accident. That's God setting the schedule because just as he used Israel to literally bring about the first coming of the Messiah, all the prophecies concerning Jesus's first coming was around the nation of Israel. Even so, he is going to use Israel at the end of time to bring about the second coming. And so I believe, obviously, in a pre-tribulational rapture that Jesus could come at any moment. It's not a prophetically driven event, whereas the second coming is a prophetically driven event. How do we know that we're in the end of the age? Because Moses uses the term latter days, different from last days, to refer to that time when Messiah comes again. And he said in the latter times, God would bring Israel back into the land and gather them from across the earth. And so I see prophecy for the second coming being fulfilled, reminding me the rapture is that much closer and we need to act. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you sense the passion of Jamie and myself and Brother Carl as we're talking about this, because properly understanding what God says, prophecy, Israel, the Jews, Jerusalem, helps everything that we see to come alive. And it doesn't make us go back into a closet. It makes us become active. We'll make application when we come back. 11 years ago, God changed my calling from standing in the gap for truth in public office to speaking truth from the pulpit in the public square. A dozen pastors linked arms with me and God began to move. In the fall of 2013, 10 years ago, the American Pastors Network began. State chapters were started. Stand in the Gap Radio and TV was born and God's used so many of you to bring this to pass. Thank you, thank you. Now it's a perfect time to glorify God. Look to the next five years should he tarry and invite you to help us reach millions more with a biblical worldview and the tools to stand in the gap for truth. Now here's how you can help. First, mark your calendars and save the date of Tuesday, November 14th for our 10th anniversary Forging Ahead celebration. Write a letter of gratitude sharing how God's used this program in your life and prayerfully consider a generous 10th anniversary APN love gift. For more information, go to standinthegapmedia.org. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Politicians are playing the blame game as the Afghanistan withdrawal two-year anniversary approaches. Meanwhile, Afghan Christians are sharing the gospel. The Voice of the Martyrs USA helps persecuted Christians who left Afghanistan and those who stayed behind. Send tangible aid through VOM at our website. And most importantly, pray. Ask God to give Afghan Christians wisdom and supernatural courage. Sharing the gospel is no easy feat in a place like Afghanistan. And for teenage girls in Uganda, their time of the month often means more than menstrual pain. It can also mean missing school. Every Child Ministries held a health training workshop in Uganda for moms and their teen girls. Mark Lucky, executive director of ECM, says the workshop taught them how to make their supplies and understand how God has created them. It also opens up gospel opportunities. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. You've been listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at standinthegapradio.com. Well, we've covered and we are still covering a major topic. If you're concerned about Israel, if you are concerned about the authority of Scripture, if you are concerned as a believer about how should I view what's happening around me and act accordingly, 
then this program today goes to the heart of that. We're talking about the interpretation of Scripture and certainly applying it to prophecy and Israel and the church, all these things we've just talked about. But all of this stems from the part of, do we actually even think the authority of Scripture is that important? Now, we know in this country, ladies and gentlemen, by the research from George Barna and others, that less than 30% of the pulpits of America actually believe in scriptural authority. And it's far less, like 90%, of those who say they are Christians. Do you think what we're talking about has application? Well, it really does. We want to go a little bit further as we bring this home now as we conclude the program. But since the prophetical aspect of Scripture, both in the foretelling of truth, the Old Testament prophets, they were foretellers of truth, but they were also predictors of future events. Now, in that context of prophecy, as prophecy declaring future events, as declared by God, we know, Peter says, it's not understood by some private or personal interpretation, as in individual, private, or even some group individual interpretation. It cannot be done outside the direction of the Holy Spirit, or the understanding and the putting together of what Scripture says based on the entirety of what Scripture says and the whole counsel of God. And it would appear that unless God Himself is confused, which of course He is not, or He has changed the end goals which he cannot since he's unchangeable, or that God has employed some sort of a sleight of hand with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by promising something they understood literally, but then unilaterally reneging and applying it to the Gentiles instead. Well, you see, the only way that there's sense made of this is if there's a literal interpretation of biblical prophecy and Israel, because then it provides a consistent interpretation and scriptural understanding. So those will be my comments. Carl, go to you. We have two questions we want to ask you here. Here's the first one I want to pose to you. How should a literal interpretation of scriptures we've laid out regarding prophecy and Israel direct or impact a true believer's life in this age in which we're living? And perhaps the consequences of not viewing what's taking place, literally. Oh, wow. Well, Dr. Walford used to say to us, Sam, when you see the Christmas decorations go up in Walmart, you know that Thanksgiving is near. Uh, And when his point was, is that when you see prophecy being fulfilled for the second coming, because God is not done with Israel, we know that the return for the church that has to precede that must be all that much closer. And so, yes, this is important in that we're prophetically alert. There comes a time when we will not be able to share the gospel. And it's a time, too, that this plain approach to Scripture is critical in dealing with the culture. You know, liberal theologians are lost people when they accuse us of interpreting the Bible literally. There's usually a moral implication behind that statement. Like, you're not really saying that my adultery is wrong or my abortion is wrong or my homosexuality is wrong or the fluidity of the sexes are wrong. That's really what they're saying. And I would say, well, yes, that's what the Scripture says. Those things are wrong because God said what he meant and he meant what he said. And so the psalmist asks, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? 
And that's kind of where we're at. We have adopted a worldly approach to Scripture in so-called Christian apologists. Look, I'm glad that Tim Keller helped people, but I would never use his book in the church I pastored because he denied the historicity of the first three chapters in Genesis. And he said they were poetry, that they couldn't be taken at plain view. And that was really letting modern culture influence his interpretation of Scripture. Well, if you can't believe Genesis 1 through 3, then what else can't we believe? And so the uh, people of our day have adopted evolution. Uh, Keller said theistic evolution was a viable approach to the Scripture. It's not. Satan has used evolution to undermine the morality of the culture. If man is his own master, if man is his own maker, if man is his own God, then you deny the Lord and you deify man, and there's no fixed moral code. And that's where the culture is. There's no absolute right and wrong because of the way they're viewing Scripture, and it brings anarchy into the culture. And this mess that the mainline denominations are in uh, is really not an, an issue of morality. It's an issue of authority, because whenever you question the accuracy of the Bible, whether it's the first 11 chapters of Genesis, that God created it in literally six days as Moses provides divine commentary for us in Exodus 20 when he speaks of the Sabbath, that just like you work six days and you rest in one, that's what God did. He worked in six days, he rested in one. And so the two intersected each other. And so the current mess in our country over these issues of morality, whether we're castrating little boys and giving mastectomies to little girls and the evil that we are Writing into the culture, it comes back to an issue of authority. Did God really say? And those who are undermining the plain, literal interpretation of Scripture or God's future for Israel, knowingly or unknowingly, they're contributing to this mess, and it's disastrous. And people say, well, it's not that important. It's a secondary issue. Well, I suppose there are some things that are secondary. I was just at a friend's church, and he believes in infant baptism. Uh, he's a believer, preaches salvation by grace alone through faith alone. But somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Both positions can't be right. And I would hate to meet the Lord after 50 years. I said, you know, uh, you blew it in the realm of baptism. You just erased it. And I'd hate to meet the Lord to say, you know, you spiritualized Israel and you didn't believe what I said. I said it plainly. I couldn't have said it more clearly. And it's not secondary in that sense. These things take on primary importance because they have an impact on the body of Christ and God's people. And Carl, that brings us to the end, just literally one minute, and then I want to ask Jamie to pray, but is it possible really to interpret some passages of Scripture literally and then take entirely other passages and do them allegorically? How can that inconsistency exist? Should it exist? It can't, you know. No, it shouldn't exist. Again, we recognize metaphors and figures of speech. When Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, he didn't mean that literally. The context indicates otherwise. He wasn't endorsing cannibalism. He had just gone through the Passover meal where every piece in the meal had a symbolic meaning, and he was speaking of his coming death. But no, we, we, we can't be inconsistent like that and abuse the Scripture. And that's why God warns teachers face a stricter judgment at the judgment seat of the just. Amen. Amen. Jamie, this has been an important program. Would you please bring this home before the Lord and pray for those listening and all of this information today? 
You bet. Let's pray. Father, today we have talked about your precious holy word. You have told us that we are to be careful in handling your word. And today I want to pray for churches and pastors across our country that they would approach your scriptures in a proper way, with a proper hermeneutic, with interpreting it in a way that we would understand fully what you meant. God, help the church, help the pastors. Thank you for today. We love you and we love your word. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Carl Brogy, again for being with us today. Jamie, thank you for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us. Take this program, go back and listen to it, StandOnTheGapRadio.com or off the app. Listen to it again. Send it to your friends. This is applicable to every person, whether they're in the pulpit or in the pew. If they want to know what God's Word says about Israel and prophecy and how we ought to view ourselves today. If you like today's program, tell a friend. You'll also want to hear Stand in the Gap Weekend and watch the nationally syndicated Stand in the Gap TV program. We present the news of the day truthfully, carefully, and consistently from a biblical worldview and constitutional perspective. If you're hungry for the truth, Visit StandInTheGapMedia.org to find all our programs and the stations that carry them. While you're there, be sure to download our free app and support this ministry with your best financial gift. Then join us again right here Monday through Friday for another program of Stand in the Gap Today.